0: Genesis chapter 30, we stopped kind of midway in the chapter last week. All right, we've been you know we kind of watched Abraham and now we watched Isaac and now we're we're watching Jacob in action. And one thing that happened in the, the last section of the Bible that we studied, all twelve of Jacob's sons were born. You remember how that happened with, with several women, you know. There was um, uh, six born by Leah, and and one, and then one more later by Rachel, and then their servants had children with Jacob, and so it's total twelve, and so. We ask the question, why would, why on earth would God have started out things like that? You know? And the reason, I believe, is that that was by design. And that is so that their origins would bring humility. It would preserve humility and gratitude and keep their focus upon God rather than themselves. And so if you can look back over your life and see things that are not as they should have been, or are not as they should be, that's good, because it gives you humility and thankfulness to God. Keeps your eyes on Him instead of yourself. Now, this passage we're going to be studying this morning is going to really zero in on the injustices of life. Because there are many, and they come in different forms. Everything's not fair. And how do we we respond when we've been treated wrongly, when we've been taken advantage of, when we've been treated unjustly? How do we respond to that? What's your normal reaction? You know, as Americans, we are big on our individual rights, and nobody tells us what to do. And so what happens when we become the victims or the target of something that's not fair? How do we respond? We really have a couple of choices, don't we? We can trust God to make it right. Or we can try to make it right ourselves. And another word for that, of course, is revenge. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. There's a whole bunch of these verses in the Bible, but um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 35 says, um, this is God talking, He says, vengeance belongs to me. He said, I'm the one who's going to repay, but I'm going to do it in due time. In other words, I'm going to do it in my time, in the way I see fit, not the way you see fit. Romans 12, 19 tells us, uh, Paul says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, in the next verse there in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 35, it says, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay you know, in due time. In the very next verse he says, um, that He's going to vindicate His people because He will have compassion on His people. And so He always sees what's happening with us, and He's compassionate towards our calamities and the things that happen that shouldn't be happening. And in time, He will vindicate us. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're vindicated in this life, and sometimes you're vindicated after, you know, in due time. It's whenever God decides. Um, you know, when you're in the, in the middle of something that's going on that's maybe not the way it's supposed to be going. Um, maybe somebody else is getting uh, something that belonged to you or whatever. You know, just um, your relationship with your children, the relationship with your parents, relationships with people at work, neighbors, you name it. Bible and... Proverbs 21:1 This is important always been a very important verse to me. It says that the uh, that the king's heart is in his hands and it's like water and he moves it however he wants. Um, I'll read it. It says a king's heart is a water channel in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. Remember, we were studying in the Minor Prophets in, in Sunday school, and he said, I will whistle, and Egypt will come. I will whistle, and here will come Babylon. So we want to remember who it is that's in charge of these things and who it is we're supposed to turn to. Jesus tells us to be, that to be peacemakers. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. And so, you know, our natural reaction when we're being mistreated in some way is to lash out, to, be, to put up our defense, to justify ourselves to the enemy, uh, to be right. You know This is natural. Is there a time and a place for that? Obviously there is. There's a time and a place. But in general, the attitude of a Christian is supposed to, when, when you see something happening. Now, if you've, if you've done something wrong, you know, that's a little different, isn't it? But it's just a really different way of thinking as a Christian when we are the victims of injustices. It's just a little bit different than the way the world approaches these things. And so often we want to be like that. We want to respond like that with each other because we always want to win. We always want to be right. We always want to be in charge. We, you know, see what I'm saying? This is our nature. And it's it's uh, the opposite of what the Bible's telling us. The Bible tells us to trust God with these things. Let Him work it out. Now, one other thing we're going to see in our passage before we begin reading is that we're going to find out that even though uh, we may be suffering from some sort of injustice, that we're not always the innocent victim. We're not always completely innocent. And that's a very important point. Because... Uh, When you're when you're mad when your temperature has risen And when you feel indignant and you feel mistreated You know all you can think about is the wrongs that someone else has done to you And you're really not thinking about yourself because it's so natural, you know someone to come up and slap you in the face You know you're like you're gonna put up some defense And this is natural to a point and it's certainly natural to our sin nature So we're going to see that, uh, we're going to watch some injustices occur here in this passage that we're going to read, we're going to see the right way to respond to them, we're going to see the wrong way, and we're also going to see that even when everything looks on paper like we're the victim, sometimes we're not. And so this is important for all of us to read, to remember as we go through this. Uh, We begin reading in chapter 30, verse 25. Of course, this is after these 11 sons have been born. Uh, Joseph is the final one. There's a 12th son that's going to be born in a while. Now, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph in verse 25, Jacob said to Laban, and we remember Laban is his mom's brother and lives in Haran. So they're at the north part of the horseshoe. They're up there in 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 the northern part, way up in the northern part of Syria, way up in there. Jacob says to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children that I have worked for and let me go. You know how hard I have worked for you." But Laban said to him, "'If I have found favor in your sight, stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you.' And then Laban said, "'Name your price, Name your wages and I will pay them. So Jacob said to him, you know what I have done for you and your herds, you know. And for you have very, you had very little before I came, but now your wealth has increased. The Lord has blessed you because of me. And now, when will I also do something for my own family? And Laban asked, well, what should I give you? And Jacob said, you don't need to give me anything. If you do this one thing for me, I will continue to shepherd and keep your flock. So he's agreeing to stay. Let me go through all of your sheep today and remove every sheep that is speckled or spotted, every dark dark colored sheep among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the female goats. Such will be my wages. And in the future, when you come to check on my wages, my honesty will testify for me. If I have any female goats that are not speckled or spotted or any lambs that are not black, they will be considered stolen." Good, said Laban, let it be as you have said. And that day Laban removed the streaked and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one that had any white on it and every dark colored sheep among the lambs. And he placed his sons in charge of them. He put a 3-day journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob meanwhile was shepherding the rest of Laban's flock. Well Jacob then took branches of fresh poplar, almond, and plane wood and he peeled the bark exposing white strips or stripes on the branches. And he set the peeled branches in the troughs in front of the sheep in the water channels where the sheep came to drink, and the sheep bred when they came to drink. The flocks bred in front of the branches and bore streaked, speckled, and spotted young. And Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face the streaked and the completely dark sheep in Laban's flocks. And then he set his own stock apart and didn't put them with Laban's sheep. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob placed the branches in the troughs in full view of the flocks, and they would breed in front of the branches. As for the weaklings of the flocks, he did not put put out the branches. So it turned out that the weak sheep belonged to Laban and the stronger ones to Jacob. And the man became very rich. He's talking about Jacob. He had many flocks, male and female slaves, and camels and donkeys. So where does Jacob find himself in life? Where do you find yourself in life? How does he, how do you, how do we conduct ourselves While you're there, wherever you find yourself, what kind of a job are you doing? How good are you doing? How good are you doing at conducting yourself where you're at right now? So, after 14 years, and we began reading there in verse 25, after 14 years, Jacob is ready to leave. He's ready to go back home, but Laban wants him to stay and so Jacob allows Jacob or Laban agrees to allow Jacob to remove all of the inferior animals from among the flock for himself they're they're marked they're speckled streaked spotted black you most most sheep are white and most goats are black or dark brown and so if they have something that's unusual about them, this was considered inferior. So he's, a, he's agreeing to take those from the flock. And, and Laban agrees to that. In verse 34 there, he says, let it be as you have said. So Jacob has been there for 14 years. He's, he, he stayed seven years to marry Rachel, but he ended up marrying Leah. And then he stayed seven more because he was able to marry Rachel. And in this 14 years, these sons have been born. And now he's ready to go home. Laban has prospered from all of Jacob's hard work. It's only he's, he's benefited greatly. But he wants to go home. Laban doesn't want him to go home. Laban wants him to stay because of the wealth that he's acquiring. But also he's got his daughters. And he's got 12, 13 grandchildren. It's named Dinah. A daughter. So there's probably other daughters there. But Dinah's mentioned because we're going to find out some things about her later. Um, but... He's got grandkids, and he's got every reason in the world to keep Jacob there. And so there's an agreement, an agreement that is obviously to Laban's benefit because the the vast majority of all of the animals are not inferior. And he's only going to take the the worst, the least the minority, the smallest number. And when they have children, when they have offspring, if they're not inferior, he's going to give them to Laban. How can Laban lose in this deal? And so he says, "Let it be as you've said in verse thirty four But then, in verse thirty five what do we see him do? He removes them all before Jacob has a chance to get them. He takes them all out and he gives them to his sons, and he moves them three days ahead, basically leaving Jacob with nothing. So how does Jacob respond to such a thing? Verse 36, Jacob, meanwhile, was shepherding the rest of Laban's flock, the ones that he had not taken out that were supposed to go to him, and he was faithful and continued to shepherd his flock. We're gonna find out that he's gonna do this for six more years. Now, these animals begin to to have offspring, but they're all all marked. They're they're all spotted and speckled and streaked. And so uh, Laban is not prospering like he thought he was going to. In verse 41, we begin to find out there in verse 41 that uh, he's using selective breeding. This is what Jacob's doing. He's been taking care of these sheep for 14 years. and. Uh, who knows how long before that. And so he's very wise to the ebb and flow of these animals. And so he's using selective breeding. And it's, he's becoming the advantage. All of the offspring are marked. And look, in verse 30, look at verse 42. So at the, at the end result of all of this is that it turns out that the weak sheep belong to Laban and the stronger ones to Jacob. And this made him, this made Jacob in verse 43 very rich. Now, we do see here that he's taking these sticks and he's peeling the bark off so that it's, you know, it's got the bark color and the, the bear color, which would maybe be white or something. And it's kind of speckled like a zebra stick. And he's, uh, he's using these sticks. And this is kind of like um, the mandrakes that we read about, you know, the, the aphrodisiacs. You know, this is uh, all superstition. Um But you have to remember where we 're at we 're going to find out that laban we 've already heard here that Laban uses divination to get his information we 're going to find out that Laban has idols in his house he 's an idolater he doesn 't worship the one true God he knows who he is, but that 's not who he worships and so these superstitions are for his benefit and so look here he's he 's putting these things uh you know the mandrakes and these sticks they really had no bearing on the outcome now, there's no prenatal influence on conception you know it's kind of like my mom was painting a red barn and then she had a child that was red headed you know that's kind of what this is if he, if he puts these speckled sticks in there it's going to it's going to work you know and uh, this is kind of a, a staple in evolution you know that you know if i could just my neck was a little longer i could get that fruit up there. And so slowly and surely I became a giraffe. You know, this is what um, children are being taught all over the world today. You know. And so this is the problem. I, I know that it's not true. Um, uh, some of you do not know what an LP is, but that's a term for a record. It's flat, and round, and you put it on a record player and it plays music. That's an LP, now, just in case you didn't know that. Uh, looking around, I think most people here do, but um, Alex does not have any idea. But uh, my mom—I know she was carrying our family's LPs um, uh, at the time I was going to be uh, born or whatever—and she dropped them. But it had absolutely no effect on me. Effect on me. Effect on me. Effect on me. Now, what was really happening here is that Jacob was using selective breeding, and these ridiculous little ploys were to hide that fact. He was concealing what he was doing. We'll find out in the next chapter, in verse 12 of all things, that uh, all of these things have been determined by God. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't even his wise selective breeding ultimately that that made the outcome the way it was. It's always God. You know, we do the, we put our best foot forward and. Um, uh, when things work out well, because we've went to school and we've done the long-term things for, you know, delayed gratification, and we went through all of these things. Yeah, you can you can look back on it and think, well, you don't have what I have because you didn't go to all the trouble, and you didn't make all the sacrifices I did. But the truth is, that even while all of those things have been done, the outcome is really something that God decides. We'll, we'll now read in chapter 31 and see what happens next. So as this has been going on, Jacob has become very rich. And Laban has not become very rich. And his, his, not only has his, um, his produce reduced greatly, their weaker animals compared to Jacob's strong ones. And so now Jacob is hearing things. And sometimes you may hear things. Now Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying. Jacob has taken all that was our father's and has built this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob saw from Laban's face that his attitude toward him was not the same. Well, then the Lord said to him, go back to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. So Jacob had Rachel and Leah called them to the field where his flocks were. And he said to them, I can see from your father's face that his attitude toward me is not the same. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked hard for your father and that he has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. But God has not let him harm me. If he said the spotted sheep will be your wages then all the sheep will be born spotted if he said the streaked sheep will be your wages then all the sheep were born streaked god has taken your father's herds and given them to me when the flocks were breeding and i saw in a dream that the streaked spotted and speckled males were mating with the females in that dream the angel of god said to me jacob and i said here i am and he said look up and see all the males that are mating With the flocks with the flocks are streaked, spotted and speckled, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the god of Bethel, where you poured oil on a stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Get up, leave this land, and return to your native land. And then Rachel and Leah answered him and they said, You know what, do we have any portion or inheritance in our father's household? Are we not regarded by him as outsiders? For he has sold us and has certainly spent our money. In fact, all the wealth that God has taken from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has said to you. And then Jacob got up and he put his children and his wives on the camels. He took all the livestock and possessions he had acquired in in Aram. And he drove his herds to go to the land of his father Isaac in Canaan. Verse 19, when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household idols. And Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, not telling him that he was fleeing. He fled with all his possessions, crossed the Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. So this begins, this chapter uh, begins with uh, Jacob hearing that Laban's sons are saying that his wealth has been taken from his father. And he could see it on Laban's face so this is when God tells him to leave. He says, go home. There are several components here that we can see that shows us how God directs us in life. Um, first of all, I have four here. First of all, there is a desire. Jacob desired to go home in verse 25. There was a desire. We talked about the gift of apostleship on Wednesday night, which is the gift of being a missionary. And some of you have no desire to go to Papua New Guinea. You know, but some people do. God puts a desire in our hearts. Now we've got to check our hearts because our hearts are, are kind of messed up. But um, when we're living right, and we're, we're, um, a lot of times even when we're not living right, God begins to direct our hearts. There's that inner witness of the heart. And this is something that believers uh, should be attuned to. You know, God may be telling you that it's time for something else to happen for you to do something different. So there's a a natural desire, but it doesn't end there. There should be outward circumstances that go alongside with this inner witness of your heart. You know, here we see that things have changed and things have changed for the worst. And so you have already got this desire to go home and now things are really starting to sour. Well, you don't just decide you're going to do something like that at that point, do you? You have to, you have to check, it, check your circumstance. You have to check your feelings with the Word of God. What does the Bible say about this? Does the Bible give me a caution? Is the Bible warning me not to do this? You know, My girlfriend broke up with me and I really wish I had a girlfriend and this lady is really being nice to me. You just jump right into that. Well, what's the Bible say? Is she a believer? Is she living for God? These are things. So you check yourself. So there's that natural desire, there's these outward circumstances, and then all of these things have to be evaluated in the light of God's word. Because we wanna make sure that we're staying on the lighted path, we're not stepping off into the darkness on our own and making stupid mistakes. It's gonna be very costly, a lot of consequences. And then the final thing is that there should be some confirmations. You know, uh, God's people especially should be um, uh, a good thing to bounce these things off of, you know. And hopefully uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't just tell people what they want to hear. If we can see that something is not maybe the the wisest or the best, maybe we should try to find a kind, loving way to, to offer a different perspective, you know. Iron is supposed to sharpen iron, you know. And so these are things that we see happening with Jacob because Jacob wanted to go home. Things had really soured and it was starting to look really kind of dangerous. God himself had actually spoken to him and told him to go home. And then what's the final confirmations when he brings this up to Rachel and Leah, his wives? And it's kind of crazy for us to put plural on it, isn't it? But um, you know, after all of the things that these folks have been through, You know, he calls them to the field and has a private conversation with them. And he's asking them to to do something that they may not want to do, which is to leave the home that they have lived in for their entire life. Their dad, their mom, their grandparents, all of their friends, everything. He's asking them to leave. And what happens? They said, do whatever God has said to you. Well, let's consider Rachel and Leah. We see here from the way that they have been treated, they're being treated as outsiders. Their dad has taken their inheritance and spent it, <coughs> leaving them nothing. And just that mistreatment, the mistreatment they witnessed to their husband, Jacob, it's began to sour their hearts about staying home. So they begin to have this desire to see things rectified, to see justice, to escape from underneath what's been the the, the mistreatment. So there's that natural desire. And now these circumstances have developed. God has talked to Jacob. Jacob's heart has changed. Jacob's ready to go. Laban and the sons are all mad because of his prosperity. They're looking at, and then Rachel Lee actually look at it and they think, you know what? Even though our dad betrayed us, he's treating us out like outsiders. He's spent our inheritance. You know what, look at this. God has taken that and giving it back to us. And so they think about it and they confirm uh, their confirmations are coming from Jacob. Their confirmations are coming from the mistreatments of Laban and his other sons. And this is why in verse 16 of chapter 31, the two ladies say, do whatever God has said to you. Jacob has remained faithful and God is rewarding that. What does he say in the next verse of verse seven? He says, God has not let him harm me They've tried. Um, In verse 8 there of chapter 31, we see that... uh, um, He says, you know, in verse 7, He says, He's cheated me and He's changed my wages 10 times. How did He do that? Verse 8, the spotted sheep will be your wages. And they were all born spotted. Well, that didn't work out. So the streak sheep, that's going to be your wages. And all the sheep are born streaked. Now, this has been going on for ten times. It's kind of like playing a game with the grandchild. You know, uh, as much as we love our grandchildren. But they, uh, the, game, the rules of the game just continually change. And if you've ever played a game with a child, you notice that all of the rules are changing so that they will win. you know. And so this is what's been happening. It's been happening for a long time. But Jacob says, but it didn't matter. Verse 9, God has taken your father's herds and He's given them to me. And we also want to notice that this angel of God that has appeared to Jacob in verse 11 is the God of Bethel in verse 13. I am the God of Bethel. So remember that? This is where the ladder, Jacob saw the ladder and the angels ascending and descending and there's the Son of Man and and that's the God of Bethel is the angel of the Lord. Same person. So pretty exciting, uh, pretty exciting stuff. And this is when um, we read this verse when we were studying last week, but now we're looking, we're real time. You know, he's saying, I am the God of Bethel. Remember where you poured oil on the stone marker and, and you made that solemn vow to me? Okay, well then let's get up, let's get out of here. It's time for you to go back home. This is God. And so in their escape, because they do hatch this plan, they do, you know, their little plan, their little planned escape. Rachel steals her dad's idols. She steals them. Now, why would Rachel do such a thing? You know, the the evidence uh, is against Rachel doing this because she's an idolater. The evidence is against that, because even during this uh, this 14-year competition with her sister over Jacob and his affection and having children. The Bible tells us that, remember, remember she said, I have wrestled with God. She was wrestling with God underneath his umbrella of protection. She was very much in a relationship with him, but she acknowledges that she was fighting him. She was mad about him, mad about his decisions, the things God wasn't doing, the things that God was doing. She was wrestling with him. This is a relationship. It might not have been really good because Rachel was wrestling with God instead of submitting, but there was a relationship. And at the end of all of that, look what happens. At the end of that, there's repentance, there's humility, there's prayer. Um, just keep your finger where you're at and, and look, at the, look at verses um, in, verse, in chapter 30. At the end of all of the 14 years of toil, in chapter 30, verse 22, it says, then God remembered Rachel He listened to her. That meant that she'd been praying. And he opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. And she said, look, God has taken away my shame. And she named him Joseph. You see, there's a change of heart. Rachel is a a believer. Rachel is a follower of God. She hasn't always done everything perfectly. But there's no indication that she's an idolater. You know? And when Jacob has pulled her aside, her loyalties remain with God, you see. Now, there's a lot of theories about why she took these idols. And some people think that maybe she, maybe, at the, at the, maybe she was just being petty, trying to get back at her dad. That's always possible. But um, to go outside of the Bible for just a second, there's a city called Nuzi, which is N-U-Z-I. And it's in Mesopotamia. It's, it's uh, in Iraq. Near the Tigris River, and it began uh, being excavated in the in the eight, like 1896, um, but really in the early 1930s they really started digging up the city. And uh, today there's about 5,000 clay tablets that have been recovered from the site, and the vast majority of all of the tablets are legal and uh, business transactions. But it's within those transactions that we see that there is this connection, there is this association between household idols and the title rights to property, the title rights to land, the title rights to inheritance. And so it makes us wonder if Rachel was taking the title rights to the inheritance. She, she went ahead and grabbed the will, you know, and uh, made a dash. So, but no matter what, she shouldn't have done it. Should not have done it. And they shouldn't have ran, ran off like they did. You should have trusted God. This was a mistake. Um, Let's continue reading in chapter 31, verse 22. Three days later, after they've left, on the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives with him, pursued Jacob for seven days, and overtook him at Mount Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night. He said, watch yourself. God warned him. Don't say anything, Jacob, good or bad. So when Laban overtook Jacob, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban his brothers also pitched their tents in the hill country of Gilead. And then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You have deceived me and taken my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why did you secretly flee from me, deceive me, and not tell me? I would have sent you away with joy and singing with tambourines and lyres but you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters. You have acted foolishly. I could do great harm to you, but last night the God of your father said to me, watch yourself, don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you are because you long for your father. Okay, but why have you stolen my gods? Well, Jacob answered, well, I was afraid for I thought you would... Take your daughters from me by force. i tell you what, if you find your gods with anyone here, he will not live. Before our relatives, point out anything that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the idols. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, then Leah's tent, then the tents of the two female slaves, but he found nothing. Then he left Leah's tent and he entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken Laban's household idols, put them in a saddlebag of the camel and sat on them. Laban searched the whole tent but found nothing. And she said to her father, Sir, don't be angry that I cannot stand up in your presence. I am having my monthly period. So Laban searched but could not find the household idols. Now Mount Gilead is a mountain region that's on the east side of the Jordan River. So this is where this is occurring. And Jacob has fled in fear and he's fled in unbelief instead of trusting God and what God said he was going to do. God told him to go back home. And in chapter 31, verse three, he says, I will be with you, you see. So it would have been better to approach Laban face to face and say, look, I'm leaving. Okay, and um Maybe there had been maybe there would have been some bartering, some transactions, some agreements, a truce or whatever. Maybe something would have happened. But God would have oversaw all of that and made sure they left. And Rachel didn't need to worry about the inheritance, because God's going to take care of her regardless. You, know, you don't have to be rich, you know. We don't have to be rich. And so this was a mistake. This was acting out of fear. It's very reasonable for us as frail people uh, to, to behave this way and to, to be in unbelief, but, it, but it's not the right way. Let's continue reading. Verse 36. Okay. I'm almost done, so don't worry. Verse 36. We've got to find out what happens, don't we? Then Jacob became incensed and brought charges against Laban. What is my crime, he said to him. What is my sin that you have pursued me? You've searched all my possessions. Have you found anything of yours? Put it here before my relatives and yours and let us and let them decide between the two of us. You know, I've been with these been you I've been with you these twenty years. Your ewes and female goats have been have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams from your flock. I did not bring you any of the flock torn by wild beasts. I myself bore the loss. You demanded payment from me for what was stolen by day or by night. There I was, the heat consumed me by day and the frost by night and sleep fled from my eyes. For 20 years I have worked in your household, 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac has not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty handed. But God has seen my affliction and my hard work and he issued his verdict last night. So here's Jacob is incensed. That means he's mad. He's, um, he feels like he has been treated very wrong. And just imagine the scene here. If you can, if you can imagine a home that has been searched by the police, you know, they're not nice, you know, when they go through your house, when we're looking for things. Usually they're looking for little tiny things. It could be in all kinds of places. And so I believe the phrase that the police use is, we tossed the place. <laughs> yeah. And so here we have Jacob's family. All of their belongings have been turned upside down. They're standing in the middle of this mess. And Jacob is 100% sure that he is the innocent victim. He's incensed. But Jacob is not 100% innocent. Jacob has acted in fear. He has acted in unbelief. And one of his wives has stolen the title deed to the inheritance. All of us would do well to remember that the next time that we are in an argument, we feel like we're getting the short end of the stick, that maybe the person we're having this disagreement with has a point. Maybe they might be right. Maybe you know you aren't just as sweet and clean as you think you are. But again, when we're mad, when we're hot, when we feel like, yeah, I might have said that, but, I, but that's nothing compared to what you did. You know, and this is our attitude. It's a disaster. Nothing good comes out of that. Now, on the whole, it is true. These charges against Laban are fair. You know, this began with him deceiving, you know, Jacob over in the first marriage and, and he's been treating it, cheating him for 20 years. And it's as he says, if it weren't for God, he would have been sent off empty-handed. But God has intervened and not let that occur. We're going to finish the chapter beginning in verse 43. So then Laban answered Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, this is Laban, the sons my sons, the flocks my flocks, everything you see is mine. But what can I do to, what can I do today for these daughters of mine or for the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and me. Let it be a witness between the two of us. So Jacob picked up a stone and he set it upon a marker. And then Jacob said to his relatives, Gather stones. And they took stones and they made a mound, and then they ate there at the mound. Laban named the mound but Jacob named it Galeed. And then Laban said, This mount is a witness between me and you today. Therefore the place was called Galeed and also Mizpah. For he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat my daughters or take other wives, though no one is with us, understand that God will be a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, Look at this mound and the marker I have set up between you and me. This mound is a witness and the marker is a witness that I will not pass beyond this mound to you. And you will not pass beyond this mound and this marker to do harm to me. The God of Abraham and the gods of Nahor, the gods of their father, will judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and he invited his relatives to eat a meal. So they ate a meal, spent the night on the mountain, and then Laban got up early in the morning, kissed his grandchildren and daughters and blessed them. and then Laban left to return home. So when all of this is said and done, and, and everything's been turned upside down, they're all stand, in this big standoff, Laban responds in pride. He's had his household island idols taken from him. He has been the victim of a crime. And he's incensed. But he is refusing to look at the big picture of all of the things that he's been doing. You see. That is something we want to remember the next time we're in an argument. What's he say? Everything you see is mine. And he would do he would do his worst, but God has warned him: don't touch Jacob, don't do it. And so what is Laban's options here? All right. Fair enough, let's make a covenant. And so they make this covenant, this mound, this mountain, this marker. It's called a jeger sahudoth or juggernaut. That, that's in Aramaic. And galid is in Hebrew. And they both mean a heap of witness. And also, later Jacob will refer to this as mizpah, which means a watchtower. So this marker is A boundary. This is not a warm and cozy agreement between two parties who don't want to part ways, but they're asking God to watch over them both while they're separated. That's not what this is. This is a non aggression treaty. This is how things have ended. And, you know, Laban may have been wanting this treaty so that to deter Jacob from trying to claim his inheritance even. Jacob is obviously not at the, not at the uh, point of advantage now. But don't mistake what's happening here. You see that this agreement is being made between two parties. One side is an idolater. One side is making his covenant to his gods, the gods of his dad, Nahor and the gods of his, his grandfather, Terah, idolaters. And on Jacob's side, it is the God of Abraham. You see. And so, what is happening here is this is putting to an end something that has always been between their families. Let's pray.